If you would, go ahead and turn to that Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at this truth found in that section of Scripture. We are um, going to uh, think together about the subject of life's greatest goal for us as believers. Life's greatest goal for us as believers. And actually it is found, and we'll get right to it, in verse 29 where it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's goal for us. He wants us to be all we're designed to be and by him, but in that design of God in our lives as individuals, he wants us to function like the Savior. He wants us to use Jesus Christ as our example, and we'll talk about how we can do this this morning. Actually, there are over 800 names and titles for Christ in Scripture, and uh Someone said it this way, and I like it. Every name he bears is a blessing he shares. In other words, each one of these names of Christ in Scripture, titles of Christ, relate to us. For instance, the ones from um, Isaiah 9-6. He's wonderful, counselor, mighty God, father of eternity, prince of peace. He's also in Scripture called the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginner of all things and the one's the one who will bring all things to completion. He's called the Lamb of God who went to the cross and sacrificed himself for us. He's called Emmanuel. He's God with us. So wherever we go, he goes with us. He's Emmanuel. And, of course, his name is Jesus, as we sang this morning. And uh, we are told by many uh, that this is the most beloved name of the Lord, Jesus. And that name, of course, was given to uh, Joseph to give to the birth of Christ. Um, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again, we're going to talk about the only th- one that can do something. <laughs> he's the only one that can change us ultimately within, and um, he's the only one that can save from sin. Well, I don't remember when perhaps some of you were saved, but I remember when I was saved in a Sunday evening service in my home church back there in that grand state of New Jersey Um, I was saved on a Sunday night and I knew I knew I needed Jesus Christ as my Savior and uh, just had a a real understanding at a very young age about eight that Jesus died on the cross paid for my sins and he forgave me of my sins now we're going to consider next number of weeks a good number of weeks the life of Christ and uh, if you want to be encouraged uh, that's how to be encouraged. Uh, Doak remembers Dr. Dwight Pentecost at Dallas Seminary. And uh, one of the courses he taught was the life of Christ. And Dr. Pentecost said, of all the classes that he taught, he found the most spiritual enrichment and encouragement in studying the Gospels and the life of Christ. And obviously there's a reason for that because Jesus Christ is the theme of Scripture. Both Old Testament and New Testament. It focuses on Christ. Old Testament says he's coming. New Testament says he came. And he came for you and for me. And here's what he can also do for us. When we look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, we want to see the glory of Christ. We want to see the 
total sufficiency of Christ. We want to see the uniqueness of Christ. We want to learn about the teachings of Christ. Uh, those accounts are they're, they're just so encouragement, uh, so much encouragement uh, to us as believers. First um, Peter two nineteen through twenty three, the Apostle Peter says, "And when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this pleases God. For to this you were called." Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So when we go through the Gospels and look at the life of Christ, we're going to see, we're going to put our focus on the things that Jesus did and how he is an example for us. How did he treat his enemies? How did he treat his friends? How did he treat the disciples? There's tremendous edification found and if you want to get started start in the gospel of matthew uh reading on the life of christ leaving us apostle peter said an example that you should follow in his steps and this caused some people to um make little buttons and little power little bands called wwjd anybody know what it stands for called out right what would jesus do and uh, I went to our local bank about a year ago, and there was a young man, a millennial, and uh, he was filling out some forms at the window. And I said, boy, I really like your band. And he said, yeah, he said, I've gotten compliments on it. It said WWJD, what would Jesus do? And he says, I haven't known Jesus too long, but I'll tell you, he's done so much for me. What a testimony. Yeah, what a testimony for young. I haven't known Jesus that long, but oh, I'd love to tell you what all that He has done for me. Well, uh, the what has been called the Westminster Confession says this: the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, there's uh, two verbs there. One is to glorify God, and we're going to talk about how we can glorify God, and also to enjoy Him. Uh, God wants us to enjoy him. I know the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, and that fear of the Lord refers to a reverence for the Lord, uh, a respect for the Lord, uh, and acknowledging him for who he really is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says in um, 9.10 of Proverbs, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in seven of Proverbs. So yes, we want to fear the Lord. But uh, that involves a, a appreciation for him. A, a awesomeness in our respect for him. So we're going to say this again. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God wants us to enjoy him. He really does. I think John Piper has written most of the books about the enjoyment of God that I've read in the past several years anyway. First um, Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And... Uh, Keep those two phrases in mind, would you? To glorify God, that's the chief end of man, and to enjoy him forever. Um, I would say we who are here this morning, probably most of us, maybe all of us who are here this morning, we've already talked to the Lord, right? Do you like to talk to the Lord in the morning and say, Lord, I have this day ahead of me. Uh, would you guide me and protect me from crazy drivers, things like that? Uh, <laughs> um this past week, I can't tell you how many times the Lord's protected me from a driver who wasn't driving too good. And sometimes they're texting as they're driving. 
Anyway, uh, we talk to the Lord. We enjoy Him. We know He He wants us to be involved in our lives. It's interesting when we talk about glorifying God. We ask ourselves the question: Well, how can we as believers, uh, we who are mortal men, uh, Bob mentioned that Psalm eight this morning. What is man that you're mindful of him? Well, God cares about us. We're flesh and blood, but He cares about us, and He is designed that we glorify him well how does that work out well think with me just for a minute and you can put it together you remember at the creation of adam there was the communication within the godhead and god said let us make man in our image and according to our likeness so man man and woman were made to bring glory to god to be like him his representatives on the earth um like god adam had personality and an intellect, and emotion, and will. And uh, in his initial state of creation, he had a tendency towards what the Bible calls holiness. Our God is holy. This is called the moral image of God in man. Uh, he had a Adam had a constant tendency to please God, to walk with God. Uh, it, it's beautiful, Genesis, uh, giving us that account. However... Noah rebelled, pardon me, Adam rebelled against God and um, sinned. And that ability to proceed after being glorifying God and to seek and understand the holiness of God, that was marred by Adam's fall into sin. However, the Lord Jesus Christ came along. And he revealed, as it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the uh, brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. In other words, when you saw Jesus Christ, you saw the uh, glory of God. He, he communicated the glory of God, even though he was the God-man. Remember, Jesus Christ was the perfect man. He never sinned. And we sang part of that this morning in our singing. Uh, he never sinned. He was righteous before the Father in heaven. And his life... You see, brought glory to God. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, I have glorified you on the earth. So all right, let's put this together now. If we say, all right, God wants us to glorify him, how do we do it? <laughs> wow. We do it by looking in the word of God and seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ. And we see how Christ did things, what, how he said things what he wanted to do in order to please the Father in heaven. This is how we can glorify the Lord. So we then say the highest goal of the Christian should become uh, should be to become more like Jesus Christ. You see, the longer you're saved, the more, and, and you, you are in the Word of God, I better put it that way, uh, the more you're going to desire to be like Christ. Now listen. A lot of people have had times and segments in their lives where, all right, they, they came to know Christ as Savior and they kind of didn't grow spiritually. They weren't around brothers and sisters in Christ who encouraged them to grow spiritually. But once a believer gets to the place where he sees the beauty of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see the beauty of Christ when we look into the Gospels. We're going to see the beauty of Christ. Once you see the beauty of Christ and you realize that he's the one 
who's to be guiding me. He is my example. It's amazing what God will do in your life. And we'll pick these things up as we look at some of those very interesting accounts in the Word of God. And staying with this for just another minute, I really feel this is important. Ephesians chapter 4 is the central New Testament passage, at least one of them, on Christ-likeness. And and I just want to touch on this, and then we're going to go look at some of the characteristics of Christ. Ephesians 4. You'll notice in chapter 4, verse 7, it says, To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, Jesus Christ has given to everyone who puts their faith and trust in him a spiritual gift, an ability to bring blessing in the lives of the body of Christ, and even to those who do not know Christ. As we use our spiritual gifts, the body of Christ, other brothers and sisters in the Lord are built up. This is why we greet one another. This is why we say we want to pray for one another. This is why someone might say to you, do you have any prayer requests today? What can I do to encourage you spiritually? We want to be using our spiritual gifts. So then we read in verse 11, And he himself gave to some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There you are. There you have it. God wants us to keep learning more about Jesus Christ, and we're going to do that. Remember the Apostle Peter said, Grow in grace and in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, notice what he's saying now. These spiritual gifts were given to the body of Christ to equip us to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Watch verse 13 now. Here it is. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. Now, the New King James there says a perfect man. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, that's what God wants us to become like. He wants everybody in the body of Christ to be growing spiritually. In fact, the goal of our growth is really that we could become like Christ and our attitude towards others, and our desire to serve others, and our relationship to the Father in heaven, you notice that that is the goal. The goal is uh, for us to be ministering to one another so that we might become mature spiritually. So therefore we're saying the destination for us, you see it says, till we all attain unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, That's the destination for us while we're here. You say, you know, why does God still leave me here? I've heard people say that. Not only seniors, I've heard other people say it too. Why is God still leaving me here on the earth? He's leaving you here and he's leaving me here so that we will become more like Christ, so that we can minister to others around us, both in the body of Christ and those who do not know Christ, we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants us to become like Christ. And let's consider some of the characteristics. I've chosen a few, and um, I put them in this order for a reason. Uh, I want to talk about these just quickly. First of all, Jesus was a man of prayer. 
Okay, he's the God man. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he was only human. He was truly divine and truly human in one person. Okay, there are 25 separate recorded incidences in the Gospels of Jesus Christ praying. In fact, one day while Jesus was praying, his disciples, they're kind of watching him. (laughs) And they see him praying and, and it strikes them. They're saying, wait a minute. If Jesus, who is God the Son, needed to communicate with his Father in heaven, I need to communicate with God. This is why as believers, we don't want to neglect our prayer life. We don't want our prayer life shrinking. We don't want to say, you know, I'm so busy, I don't have time to pray. We want to expand our prayer life. We want to take a little bit more time. We want our prayer list to get a little bit longer. We want to spend a little more time praying for those we know and love. And the Lord will put this on your on your heart. So the disciples are watching Jesus on one occasion praying, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And so the Lord did, and he gave what we call the Lord's Prayer. And uh, when he gave that in Luke chapter 11, we see that the content of prayer is there. We see that the persistence of prayer is there. And, of course, Jesus mentioned the fact of the faithfulness of prayer. A couple things about Jesus and his praying. First of all, he prayed when he had to make decisions. And you could say, well, you know, listen, I've been saved quite a few years now, and I, I know I need to pray when I have to make decisions. But sometimes we have to catch ourselves because uh, we can make decisions real quick and uh, maybe we don't pray about them. Like uh, I remember a man in uh, our first church in Nebraska, and he had a large family. And he <laughs> I still remember this. It kind of helped me through the years, you know. He said, um, Pastor, he said, I went out and I bought a new car, and I didn't pray about it. And he says, it's really killed our budget. <laughs> so, uh, and he couldn't take it back, you know. That was that was definite. And, and he says, I know the Lord's going to provide for us, but he says, I didn't really pray about that. So what am I saying? I'm saying before we make decisions, right, we really need to pray about the things that we do. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, in fact, if you want to take a look at this, it's so clear. Uh, again, we're going to look at details in the Gospels. When we get into the Gospel of Matthew in particular. Luke chapter 6, notice verse 12. Luke six twelve. And you will notice that the account says, Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. Now I'm here to confess, I have never spent all night in prayer. Never. I've talked to a few people that have. I've never spent all night in prayer. Jesus continued all night in prayer. Now look what happens the next day. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. He calls a group of people to himself. And from them, he chooses 12 whom he also named the apostles. So you see what Jesus was doing before he chose the 12 apostles. He's communicating with the Father in heaven. He, He wants wisdom that comes from God. And, of course, you know, and I know, too, and I've, I, I love the verse, that we need to be careful when we make decisions. Because it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, specifically verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, 
and he will direct your path. Very important verse. Another one, just quickly, is the fact that after the feeding of the 5,000, as recorded in uh, John chapter 6, we read the, the verse that says in John 6.15, it says, right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus went up into the mountain. In two of the Gospels, but another Gospel says he went up into the mountain to pray because after Jesus fed the 5,000, they wanted to come and make him king. Look, if this guy can uh, multiply loaves and fish like this, I mean, this is better in some of the restaurants in Louisville, you know. Uh, Let's make him king. Jesus, you see, was tempted. He was tempted uh, to... um, Follow the will of God without the suffering of the cross. Let's make him king. Let's make him Messiah. He came to be the Messiah, he said. So Jesus prayed in order to resist temptation. Yes, he is absolutely our example in all things. I want to mention another one just quickly, too. And I'll tell you why we're doing this. I want to mention another one. Peter, as you know... um, it was predicted that he would deny the Lord, right? And Jesus, before the denial, said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has desired to have you, has asked for you, that he might sift you as wheat. Now, Satan wasn't going to take Peter's soul, but he really wanted to mess up his life, and that's true for us as believers. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So that was Jesus' prayer for Peter. And that absolutely took place. Peter confessed his denial of the Lord. He was restored to fellowship with the Lord. And he did strengthen his brethren. He went out and preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're talking now about the prayer life of Jesus. Now let me mention this just briefly. John Stone Street is um, the speaker on the little broadcast called Breakpoint on the radio. And he said he had a little article that was entitled Prayer Shaming and the Church Shooting. Remember the church shooting at Sutherland, Texas? Sutherland Springs, Texas? 26 people died. 21, uh, 20 were wounded. Remember that? Okay, here's what he said. John Stone Street. As happens at every mass shooting, there are those committed to superimposing their own narratives on the tragic events. In other words, people say, now this is why it happened, you see. And they find a way even to try to implement implement implicate, I'm sorry, Christians. This time, that way is what Emma Green of the Atlantic Monthly called, after the San Bernardino shooting, prayer shaming. This refers to comments both in social and conventional media that criticize those who say, and you've heard People in the media say this, that our thoughts and our prayers are with the victims and their families. And this prayer shaming says, you don't need to be saying that because prayer doesn't really do anything. That's their implication. 
And you and I know it does. You and I could give testimonies right now today of what God has done for us when brothers and sisters in Christ prayed for us. Don't ever underestimate. In fact, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to to underestimate um, your view of prayer and what God will do in relationship to prayer. It's very clear in the Word of God. Not only did Jesus pray for Peter, not only did Jesus pray for others, not only did he pray in John 17 that we would stay close to the Lord, But Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, He ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ is our example. He was a man of prayer. And uh, there will be always people who will put down and say, Well, it doesn't really matter if you pray or not. Yes, it does. It doesn't mean we always see instantly the things that we ask God for. You know the four. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says, wait a while. And sometimes he says, I'm going to give you what you need in a different form than you feel uh, you really should have. So Jesus Christ is our example in prayer. He's our example in submission to the Father in heaven. He said, I do always those things that are pleasing to my Father in heaven. Remember Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when it came to going to the cross for you and for me, Father, if it, if it is your will that this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as your will, I want your will to be done. Jesus was in submission to the Father in heaven. And we, even as that song was sung to my, we want to be those who are in submission to God. Uh, we constantly need to be praying, Lord, what would you have me to do in this area or in this um, situation or decision in life? And also, not only was Jesus in submission to the Father in heaven, but it's interesting that Jesus was, and hold on to your seatbelts on this one, he was in submission to other people, people that he had a responsibility to as the God-man, okay, as the God-man. So some... Religious leaders came over to Jesus and uh, the disciples, and he spoke to the disciples and said, uh, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Does he give that money to the temple? Now listen, the temple in that day and the religious leaders, there was corruption there. So it would be easy for someone to come to the conclusion, well, I don't really need to give to the temple tax. And then Jesus' answer is absolutely astounding. Awesome, and I'm going to just read it very quickly. It's Matthew 17:24. This is this is beautiful. Matthew 17:24. Jesus said this. And when they had come to the Capernaum, uh, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, "Does your teacher, that's the Lord Jesus, not pay the temple tax?" And Peter answered, and "said Yes, he does." And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him and said, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their own sons or from strangers? You see, Jesus was Lord of the temple. He's Lord of the place of worship. He didn't really have to pay the temple tax. Peter answered Jesus and said, From strangers. From those who are conquered is another way of looking at that, uh, that, that word. Kings take taxes from peoples who are conquered. Then the sons are free, Jesus said. Nevertheless, 
lest we offend them and go to the sea, uh, rather go to the sea, I'm sorry, and cast a hook. Take a fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. So that was quite a fishing experience for Peter. First fish that you get is going to have a coin in there. And take that coin and pay the temple tax. So what, what am I saying? I'm saying Jesus was not only in submission to the Father, but he was also in submission to the temple of the day. He was also in submission to the Roman government. The, the Jewish leaders came to Jesus and says, um, is it right for you to pay taxes to Caesar? They, they were trying to set him up. Because if he tried to make the Roman government look good, that would make him look bad. And so they said, um, is it lawful to pay taxes? Remember what Jesus said? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So yes, the Lord, as we see the life of Christ, as we view our Lord, we see that he has a submissive spirit. His spirit is right with the Father in heaven. His spirit is right even with those who are not right with him. He is in submission. Jesus Christ truly is our example in all things. And the last thing I want to mention is the fact that you and I have heard many times that Jesus Christ not only knew, but used the word of God at the time of his temptation. He was tempted in the area of the flesh. He had been fasting. And Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That was a real temptation for Christ. He was hungry. But, of course, Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father in heaven and said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And Jesus, again, gives us an example how we can use Scripture. And this is the reason, by the way, that some of you can remember certain passages of Scripture, certain verses. You're reading the daily bread and you say, boy, they really hit me good today. Uh, That's very encouraging. That's a rhema of God. It's a portion of God's word. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, physical food, but by portions of the word of God. Phrases of scripture that the Lord puts on your heart to enable you to do the will of the Father in heaven. Yes, Jesus Christ is absolutely uh, our example in all things. We need to be those who are in the word of God. And uh, I just want to mention one more and then we're going to do a review. The Lord Jesus Christ was a man of compassion. And the Bible says he looked on the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were those who were not being led in their relationship to God. There were false teachers out there said you have to do works and things like this in order to please God. And, and Jesus said they're like sheep without a shepherd. So now the Bible is very clear. Jesus Christ is one who had compassion. And when he saw people who had physical need, he didn't heal everybody that came along, but he healed many people. And there were times, the Bible says, when Jesus and the disciples were teaching and in the midst of a multitude, they kept bringing those who needed healing to Christ. And it said, on one occasion, it said, they didn't even have time to eat because of the healing and the ministering that was going on. So yes, Jesus Christ is our example. God wants us to be like him. He prayed often. He prayed about decisions. He prayed when he was facing temptation. 
He, he prayed for the needs of others. And, and don't let anyone uh, shame you in relationship to the fact that you pray for others. And it's very sad that someone would criticize someone in this uh, public sphere who would say, well, you know, the people who experienced the tragedy, our prayers are for them and we will be praying for them. Criticizing that? No. No. Jesus was our example in prayer. He, was our, he is our example in submission to the Father in heaven, to those around us who have authority in our lives. Jesus Christ is our example of compassion. He ministered to the needs of people. And we will see as we go through the Gospels that Jesus Christ is our example absolutely in all things. We sang that song, Our All Authority, All Victory is Centered in Christ. And please keep this in mind as you go into the afternoon. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if there's any area of life that God wants us to have victory in, we have to make sure that we're bringing Christ into the situation. We have to make sure that we're going to him and saying, Lord, what would you do? What would Jesus do? Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Repeating the verse, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.